In the early 1700s, there was a man by the name of John Newton. But John thought that he was superior. He found himself in the slave trade industry. He thought that the African women and men and children that he would send to the slave auction blocks were beneath him. And in 1748, while hauling some non-slave cargo, a violent storm hit Newton's ship. Fearing for his life, he fell to his knees and he cried out to God and he prayed for mercy and he prayed for grace. It was that night that God gripped the heart of John Newton. That night he knew that there was a God who not only heard prayers, but he'd answered them as well, even for the worst of men. Over time, Newton would repent and he became a pastor became a songwriter. And in 1772, Newton wrote a hymn that he entitled Faith's Review and Expectations. Today, this song and a few notes will lift the hopes of the hopeless and soften the hearts of the hard. It became a requiem for the Cherokee Indians on the trial of the Trail of Tears, and it rang aloud in both the North and the South at the end of the Civil War. It became the anthem for civil rights. And this tune was sung so loud as the Berlin Wall fell that they could not hear the rocks crumbling one upon another. As Nelson Mandela walked free from prison, the people sang this. And on September 11th, this song comforted our hearts. Every time we hear this song, it reminds us that God's grace has the power to transform people unconditionally of our race, of our denomination, of our education, nationality, social status, or wealth. It reminds us that God has no favorites and that he shows no favoritism. It reminds us that God's grace can right all wrongs, even turn a man like John Newton, who once traded slaves, into the one who fought and won their freedom. Would you stand with me and sing the song that we now know as Amazing Grace? And so, Father, as that song has rang true, regarded the condition of a man's heart changing because you first emancipated his heart, Lord. By sending Jesus to die on the cross, you set us all free from the bondage of sin that we are no longer required to live by. And that by your grace, we can overcome all things. And by your mercy, we can have eternal life. And Father God, if we are believers in this room this morning and we claim to hold to that, then we are claimed to hold to the challenge that you gave John Newton. And we are claimed to the challenge that you gave to Peter in our scripture this morning. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. And we thank you for people who overcome prejudices for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I almost feel like I shouldn't even preach after that. <clears throat> Just going to mess it up. Just as John Newton found himself in a moment of understanding that God's grace is sufficient for all and that he, in fact, was actually nothing special, Peter also found himself in one of these moments, as we're going to see in a minute. And it's amazing to me because even sometimes the most mature believer needs an attitude adjustment. 
when it comes to the idea of prejudice. It's often been said in the process of of sanctification that the heart issues that we face with prejudice often is one of the last areas to be touched. Because as broken men and women, it's in our desire to hate. It's in our, it's in our, our, our human nature to compete. The easiest one for us to look at is, as, as, as Americans is to say, well, racism is the grossest form of prejudice that we can see. I'll tell you, it's maybe not the grossest. It's the most visible. Because as American Christians, as, as Christians, we live in a society where there's so many things to the fact that Sunday morning is the most divided time in our nation's week. We segregate ourselves through Presbyterian or Anglican or non-denominational. We separate ourselves based on the languages that we speak. We separate ourselves by the color of our skin. And what was intended to be this beautiful thing of unity in the church has been something that unintentionally has produced prejudice. I don't mean racism, I mean prejudice. Because prejudice is so much more than just the color of somebody's skin. I want to make sure that we're all clear on that. And this morning, this topic is so broad and so vast to cover that I really can only cover one aspect of it. And that's the aspect of how we deal with it in the church. Because the reality of it is, in the church, I have met some of the most hatred-speaking people that I could even begin to imagine. And I'm one of them. As I began to read the scripture passage for this week, every hunter knows this passage of scripture because there's a moment where God tells Peter, rise, kill and eat. And the man instincts me and me just go, yes, let's kill stuff and eat it. But the reality of what was actually being talked about in this passage of scripture rocks me every time I read it. Because it's this moment that they're going through where, where the Jewish Christians of the time, uh, there's this neat thing where Jesus came and there's this movement among the Jewish people to accept Jesus and to begin this church. But in their hearts, there was still anger and hatred towards the Romans, towards these people that we'll just call the Gentiles. Let me give you a clue. Unless you're Jewish in here in this room today, you're a Gentile. And Peter, in his heart, in the heart of the early church, there was this prejudice. That it was taught that if you didn't adhere to the ceremonial laws, the national laws of the Hebrew people, you could not be a Christian. And this morning we're faced with this weird situation where we see this man Cornelius, who, let me tell you, was not Jewish. In fact, he was a Roman officer. And we have this moment where, you know, for maybe for the Jewish folks and for Peter and those guys to run into Jesus, it's like, okay, that happens. But for the first time, we see a guy who's not a Jew or, or not one of the disciples meeting up with an angel of the Lord. I love what it says. It says, Cornelius was scared. This just doesn't happen to Romans. And so Cornelius was freaked out and he heard a message and, and the Holy Spirit gave this angel, gave him the address of where to go. He said, I want you to go to Joppa. And you're going to meet a man there by the name of Simon. They call him Peter. He's staying with a guy named Simon, so call him Peter. They'll know who you're talking about. He lives by the sea. And do you know what's ironic about this story and kind of funny? This is how God works. He doesn't work by accident. This is the same city where Jonah 
with racist, racist or prejudiced intentions in his heart, decided to go against God's will in Joppa. Isn't that funny? It's pretty funny. So what happens is, is the God-fearing centurion, he grabs two buddies and one of his um, um, aides, and he says, I want you guys to go to Joppa, and I want you to bring this man to me. Now, if you know anything about this culture, the Jews and Gentiles, they don't mix. It's like Chuck Norris and bad guys. They don't blend well. Okay? And we find ourselves shortly after what Pastor Robbie read in Acts 10, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. How many guys did, did, uh, did Cornelius send to Joppa? Does anybody remember? Three. Remember that. About, the noon, uh, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Side sermon, when you pray, if you haven't caught this already this morning, Cornelius was praying, Peter's praying, God will speak to you. So pray. Okay, back to our story. He became hungry and wanted something to eat while he was praying. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being laid down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And the voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Again, the man in me goes, Yes! This is clearly talking about I'm allowed to eat lobster, I'm allowed to eat hot dogs, this is fantastic, let's go kill stuff and eat it. But God works at different levels for different people. And while it may actually be talking about some of that stuff, I want you to get this fact. Peter thinks this is a test from the Lord. And I know that he hung out with Jesus, but instead of simply saying, yes, Lord, he starts debating God. He says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Basically, check me out. Look how great I am. The voice spoke to him a second time and said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Did you hear those words? Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He said this three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. And while Peter was sitting there wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking, If Simon, who is known as Peter, is, is he staying here? They basically told him, Yes, he is. And so while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. And do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them I, excuse me, I have sent them. And so Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one that you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man. He is respected by all the Jewish people. At this moment, they're justifying. Do you see what they're doing? Because there's some heated national tensions between the Romans and the Jews. And now they're justifying. Oh, he's liked by the Jewish people. He, he loves God. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that, you, he, uh, so that he could hear what you have to say. So Peter then invited the men into the house 
to be his guests. That was a no-no. You did not invite Gentiles into the home of a Jewish person. It was viewed as unclean. It was viewed as not good. You didn't do that. So already God's beginning to work in Peter's heart through the vision. While Peter was still, excuse me, the next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him and he called together his relatives and his close friend. So not only was like Peter expecting to show up to talk to Cornelius, Cornelius decided this is going to be a great occasion. Let's have church. So it's now not just Peter showing up to talk to Cornelius. It's Peter going to preach a sermon at what we could call the first Gentile church, the Gentiles church. Peter was one, oh, excuse me. Uh, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. <laughs> but Peter made him get up and said, Stand up, I'm just a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. When he said to them, You are all aware that it is against our laws for a Jew to associate with a Gentile, to even visit him. And so I can imagine there was this tense moment. As Peter's in this church, this this communion of believers, these Gentiles that in spite of not being Jewish, they still believed in Jesus and they loved God and they understood the sacrifice that was being made. This transformation is happening in such a grand scale. And Peter steps in and that's the first thing he says. You can imagine there might have been a tension, a thickness of of what's he going to say next. He said to them, But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask, why did you send for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at at this hour, and at three in the afternoon suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, for he is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner. He lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Peter then says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So in this moment, there's this divine revelation on the birth of the church. That the birth of the church is, they're struggling, they're figuring out how to work together and and, and presenting the gospel. What does it mean to present the gospel? Is it really just meant for the Jew? Is it just meant for those who are circumcised? we got to figure this out. And so Peter in this moment is given a vision by God. Cornelius, a man who loved God, who was not a Jew, a Roman guy. Okay, that's like me going to a Cleveland Browns game and, and being okay with the people around me. That's crazy, right? And so here this is happening, and and he comes into the home, and he says, God has revealed to me how wrong I have been to hold these things against you people. Surely, surely, God, if you love Jesus and, and you want to obey God, you are my brother, you are my sister. And the very next thing that Peter does is he begins to teach the gospel message of Jesus, telling them stuff they already knew, but reiterating the fact that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And we have this beautiful moment where a church service was not stifled by any type of prejudice. 
It was not stifled by any type of classism. You had servants. You had family members. You had Romans. You had Jews. All in the same room, sitting down together, listening to the message of the gospel. And in the great commission that Jesus gave to us, he said, I, did not, I do not want you folks from Swickley to only go minister to the wealthy white folks. That's not what Jesus said to us in the great commandment. He says, I want you to go to all nations and teach them to be servants of mine. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It grieves my heart that Sunday mornings in America is the most divided time that there is in America. As a, as, a, as a believer, as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to hate in our hearts any form of prejudice. Whether it be based on style of music, whether it be based on age, whether it be based on the color of our skin, the language that we speak, the type of education we have, the wealth that we have, so on and so forth. You get what I'm saying? I am more guilty of this than anybody I grew up in a very blended community and I have been on both sides of the black-white argument. And it burdens my heart that at one time in my life I was taught ignorance. From the mouths of some of the most godly people that, that were in my life, I heard racial slurs. And I heard constant bashing of other denominations. Well, you don't want to listen to them, they're Presbyterians. You don't want to go over and talk to them Anglicans. And while we joke about stuff, the reality is in our heart, we are harboring prejudice versus our brother and sister. I want to quote someone I heard speak last week. They were referring to a specific incident and they said, I did not come to you as an Anglican. I did not come to you as a Baptist. I didn't come to you as a Presbyterian. I came to you in the bondage of the fact that I am a Christian, you are a Christian, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, church, we have some repenting to do over the things that we have put before our bond of brotherhood in Christ. I get that there's theological differences. I get that there's things that we defer on and what we believe and all that good stuff. But let me ask you this question. Are those really hills for us to divide God's bride on? Are they really hills for us to separate and have no conversation with those people who believe in that predestination stuff? Or believe in that whole you know, holy sanctified stuff. I think God wants us to work out our prejudices. I think God wants us to work out what really is hatred in our hearts, our superiority complexes. The fact that we sometimes as Americans think that we're better just because we're America. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus wasn't a white man and he wasn't an American. Are you going to be okay with that when we get to heaven? Can you worship someone for eternity who may speak a different language than you? Can you worship somebody in eternity who, who may smell differently, who may eat different foods, who speaks a different language? Who, you get my point. I think prejudice is one of these things in the church we don't talk about because it's, it's actually very complicated. It's a very deep-rooted issue. And as I said earlier, it's something that mature Christians can secretly carry in their hearts and maybe not even realize. But I'm here to tell you, church, like Peter did, like John Newton did, we have a responsibility to stand up with a holy, righteous anger against any type of prejudice, racism, classism. I mean, think about that concept. Just, just think about what we could show the world 
about Christ if we demonstrated to him love instead of, oh, there's those Christians again, all divided up doing their own thing. We have an authoritative book sent to us from God that has everything in it we'll need to know. The gospel message is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The rest of this stuff, we can figure it out. We can work through it. We can get answers when we get to heaven. But the reality is, is we're not going to know it for sure on some of the stuff until we get to heaven. So let's stop fighting about it now. Let's get busy telling people about Jesus and show them a picture of brotherhood that they want to be a part of and it's not something that they want to run from. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? I know that this message isn't sitting well for a lot of you and it's, it's hard for me. But the reality is, is, as a church, we cannot be divided on stupid things. You know, if we disagree theologically on some things, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be able to sit down at the same table and work this stuff out without attacking and hurting each other. Amen? We should be able to work this stuff out. The Bible is a solid piece of thing from God that can withstand our questions. It is truth. And it's okay if you ask questions of truth. It will hold up to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the problem is, is in our nation, we become so fixated on either our hatred or we do this reverse thing where we go so far as we don't want to offend anybody that we go to this extreme opposite to where I have people in Haiti calling the black people in Haiti African Americans because they don't want to offend anybody. There's something broke here because we're so worried about offending people. We're so worried about stepping on toes that we're forgetting to love each other. You're not black, you're not white, you're not Anglican, you're not Presbyterian, you're not CMA. You're children of God. Love one another. I don't care what language you speak. I butcher every language, okay? It doesn't matter. We are children of God. One of the coolest moments of my life was going to Kenya and meeting people I had never seen in my life. They spoke, spoke this crazy language. They had, they had skin color that I had never seen before, but they embraced me and they hugged me and they called me brother. They didn't judge me. They didn't say, oh, well, he's going to come in here and look down on us. They didn't say that. They embraced me and they loved me. And so, church, I challenge you. Are you loving people for the fact that they're people? Because I'm going to tell you the problem I'm talking about right now is just inside the church. I haven't even got to the issue of how we treat people outside the walls of the church. We need to learn to love one another. We need to, in love, stand against any form of hatred any form of prejudice, any form of anything that looks remotely like that, like Peter will do. We need to be willing to suffer. We talked about suffering for the sake of the gospel. When you see injustice happening, when you see stuff like that going on, you stand up for it. You may lose friends. You may be persecuted. You may be beaten up and killed for all I know. But when you stand up for what's right, God is in glory delighting in it. And while I really like to make people happy, I love pleasing my Lord. Do hard things. Embrace the hard challenge of love, of grace, of mercy. Let me tell you something. Jesus is good enough for all of us, not just good enough for you. He's good enough for guys like Jeffrey Dahmer and people that we may look at, as Buddha talked about last week, the, our enemies and the people we hate. He's good enough for them. 
The identity of Christianity is not based on any type of human distinction that we make. Do you understand me? It's based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is it. Church, we need to repent. As a church, we need to repent of how sometimes we have divided the kingdom of God based on our human distinctions. Now, I'm not saying those conversations aren't good to have and it's not good to figure things out, but there's no reason we shouldn't be able to have church with our brothers and sisters. I don't care what music style you listen to. I don't care who's your favorite preacher or whatever like that. It's not about this guy. It's not about the band. It's not about the clothes that we wear. I love the great theologian Garth Brooks. He has a song called Fit for a King, and it's a song all about this disgusting guy standing on a street corner in bum clothes, and a kid says, well, material, guy says, material possessions won't matter in heaven. And he's absolutely right. One day these rags that I'm wearing will be fit for a king. And we've got to stop looking at each other as this measurable thing. We've got to stop competing with other churches. We're all fishing from the same boat. We've got to stop this, 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 this attitude. And as a church, as a body of believers, I think as, as the church universal, we need to repent of that attitude. As individuals, as soon as I started talking about those prejudices, something leapt into your heart from your past, from right now. We need to repent. And maybe you've moved on, and maybe you're not, like it's not even an issue for you anymore, but let me tell you something. Have you ever repented of it? Have you ever asked God to heal that wound in your heart? Because I'm going to tell you right now, as I said earlier, one of the godliest men I had ever met in my life who spoke lots and lots of biblical truth. I told him, I said, I'm going to go to Kenya and I'm going to do this missions organization. And this is what spewed out of his mouth. He said, what are you going to go over there and help these N-words for? we got tons of N-words here that need help. This was supposed to be my godly man who was harboring hate in his heart. Something's not right. We need to repent of our attitudes and our hatred and our prejudices. And we need to come to the realization, as Gentiles, there was a moment in history, if, if Peter wasn't obedient, would we even be here? Because at one moment, we were all the target of that. But Christ, the great emancipator, came down from heaven. He died on the cross. He set our hearts free from the slavery of sin. He changed men like John Newton who became a literal emancipator. He changed the hearts of Peter. Think about the context, of, the context of Saul. He changed Saul, the great persecutor. He wanted to take every Jew that believed in Jesus and he wanted to kill them. And, and God transformed him into this evangelistic dinosaur of a man who went out and in the name of Jesus proclaimed the gospel. Whatever you're harboring, whatever you're dealing with, I'm telling you right now, God can turn it around, He can forgive you, and He can use it as a strength in your life. You have to forgive yourself. You have to let go. And as a nation, as people, as a church, we need to heal from this this prejudice that started the moment Cain slew Abel, the moment that Eve bit that apple. It's in our human nature, is it not? It's in our nature. And we need to ask God to give us the strength to fight it. We need to ask God to give us the strength for the sake of the gospel to overcome like John Newton, like Peter, and like Paul. Church, can we repent?
Can we ask God to forgive us for the hate that once was in our heart? And can we ask for God to pour that love out that he has on us so many times and to convict our hearts to want to share the gospel with everybody? You know what's funny? When I was a kid, I told God I would do two things. I would never, ever do two things. My wife can utter these. I'll never become a pastor because I'm not setting a foot in a church again after I turn 18. And I'll never go to Africa. God's funny, isn't he? (laughs) I'm not preaching condemnation at you. I'm preaching liberation. I'm preaching emancipation. When you harbor hate in your heart, it holds you to sin and you are living as a slave. Let it go this morning. Let it go. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and pray if you need to. But God is good. He is good. He is good. He is good. His grace is sufficient for all of us. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for who you are. We praise you that you died for all of our sins, Lord. And so forgive us. Forgive me as a pastor when I've led my congregation down a road that was ignorant. Forgive us in our hearts when we have gone to places that are ignorant places that are harboring hatred towards our brother over the silliest of things. God, we pray that you would help us to get that together in the church because the reality is the world's watching. And a lot of the world will say they want nothing to do with you because of the way that your believers treat each other. God, we pray that you would convict us of that and help us to change that story because we want the gospel to go forward. We want to we be involved in that, God. So cleanse us, heal us, as you did Peter.